2: for podcasting the PSAs you hear on Miller and Condon and iHeartMedia Des Moines are presented in part by Nick Mick we take care of our own now here's Miller and Condon Welcome back, Millery Condon, 11 o'clock hour, Des Moines Sports Station, 1460 KXNO, 106.3 FM. Any second now, Governor Kim Reynolds, she's on the podium, she's ready to go. Here's the governor of the state of Iowa.
0: Go ahead and start with an update uh, on the numbers for today. We had 191 new positive cases for a total of 2,332 positive cases. We have no new counties to report today, so the total counties remain at 82. We've had 926 negative cases today for a total of 19,460 negative tests and overall tested 21,792. The State Hygienic Lab has 10,588 tests available. We have 1,007 Iowans that have recovered for a recovery rate of 43%. I'm sorry to report that we have had an additional four deaths for a total of 64 deaths in Iowa and again our, just our sincere, sincerest condolences go out to the families 13 percent of all positive cases in Iowa are related to long-term care facility outbreaks and 45 percent of all deaths in Iowa are among residents of long-term care facilities across all of our RMCC regions yesterday There were 183 COVID-19 patients hospitalized, 19 were admitted in the last 24 hours, 88 patients are being treated in ICUs, and 52 are on ventilators. Also in hospitals across the state, there are 7,966 inpatient beds, 566 ICU beds, and 676 ventilators available for patient care. And just a reminder, for more information and and breakdown by data, by county, or by region, go to coronavirus.iowa.gov. So, today I, want to provide, uh, today I want to provide a brief update that the Department of Public Health is working closely with some of our processing plants. The Tyson plants, uh, especially in Columbus Junction and Waterloo, um, in an effort to test all employees and conduct contact tracing for all positive cases. Testing will conclude today at the Tyson plant in Columbus Junction. 2,700 tests are being sent today to the Tyson plant in Waterloo and the State Hygienic Lab will be running all completed tests over the weekend. I have had the opportunity to speak with the Tyson Plan in Waterloo. Uh, I was able to do that last evening about the steps that they're taking to protect the health of their employees, including uh, temperature screenings. They are requiring masks to be on before they enter the facility. They are relaxing their attendance policy just to make sure that employees know that it is important that if they're sick to stay home. And they're providing regular communication in multiple language. As we said environments where people are in close contact, including processing plants and long-term care facilities uh, are at risk for COVID-19 to spread rapidly if an exposure occurs. The Department of Public Health has activated additional support teams to help these businesses and others uh, conduct testing, contact tracing, as well as prevention. Yesterday we also talked about the importance of expanding testing capacity in Iowa so that we can better understand the level of the virus activity and again make targeted and informed decisions about reopening our state. By increasing the number of Iowans tested either through diagnostic testing to confirm positive COVID-19 cases or through serology testing to determine if a person has had the virus. We can then target specific communities and businesses that are in a position to open back up in a way that is measured and responsible. So it really is a critical piece of us talking about how we start to reopen the state of Iowa back up. I know that the possibility of getting life back to normal sooner rather than later is what hardworking Iowans want, and it is absolutely what I want, too. As we continue to learn how to live with COVID-19 until a vaccine is available, we'll also learn how to carefully balance not only the health of Iowans, but the health of our economy. Yesterday afternoon, I uh, met with the state chief economist and agency directors from the Department of Revenue, uh, Economic Development, Iowa Finance Authority, Workforce Development, OCIO, uh, Department of Human Services, Education, Department of Transportation and Lottery, to really discuss parameters and guidelines for how we will stabilize recovery, recover, and grow Iowa's economy. The team is working now to affirm objectives and measurements, and as we move into the next uh, f- as we move into the next phase of planning, uh, we will be assembling a group that includes business and industry stakeholders to help provide input on challenges, but also opportunities ahead and really help develop solutions to fuel the economy, uh, the economic recovery and growth. I also had the opportunity to uh, join a call yesterday with the president, the vice president and governors from all across uh, this country to to discuss guidelines for opening up America. The administration is proposing a phased approach based on up-to-date data and readiness that really, again, mitigates the risk of resurgence and protects the most vulnerable among us um, and it can be implemented on a statewide or county by county basis um, uh, at the governor's discretion the plan that we're already discuss- discussing for Iowa um, really does a- align um, very well with what the president's plan is so there's a lot of similarities that we all have been looking, looking at as we talk about uh, targeting and then re- responsibly reopening uh, our states. I'm grateful that the administration recognizes how important it is that each state make decisions based on what's best for the people and economy in our states and I look forward to continuing uh, to partner at the federal level as well as the local level here in Iowa to make the best decisions to move our state forward. So one of the first, uh, you know, as we talk about mitigation steps and data that we've used to make targeted decisions throughout the whole COVID uh, uh, crisis, one of the first uh, significant mitigation steps that we took in Iowa was to, uh, to slow the spread of the virus, virus was recommending the closure of schools on March 15th. Uh, then on April 2nd, schools were closed until April 30th. And school districts were required to inform the state of their intent to provide our students continuous learning opportunities um, for, the, for the kids that they serve. At that time, I said that I would assess the situation two weeks out uh, to the April 30th date, date and provide further guidance on the possibility of reopening before the end of this uh, regular scheduled school year. And believe me, I would like nothing more than to stand before you today and announce that Iowa will be open for school in May. But as we look at the date, as we look at what the date is telling us now. I can't tell you with certainty based on the Department of Public Health's data that they're providing to the office uh, that early May will be the right time for students, teachers and staff to gather again in their classrooms. So therefore I regret to say that Iowa schools will not reopen for this school year. But school districts will be required to continue to provide continuous learning opportunities for their students until the end of the regular school year. And here to share some more information about the decision and what will be expected of school district districts as they prepare for the summer and fall is uh, Department of Education Director Ann Lebo. Ann?
1: Thank you, Governor. Closing schools through the end of the year is not an easy decision. And we do know the challenges this creates. But we also know this decision is necessary to ensure the health and safety of those we serve. This also includes the cancellation of spring sports seasons, adding to the many school activities which have already been lost. Iowa schools are essential to our communities, well beyond the educational services they provide, and we recognize the loss of springs to many. We will provide more information by June 1st about summer sports seasons. Even though our school buildings are closed, learning opportunities across Iowa are in full swing thanks to the efforts of our school staff and leaders. Under normal circumstances, the timeline for developing continuous learning plans would take months, years even. Our schools developed and implemented solutions in only a matter of weeks. Every one of Iowa's 327 public school districts, as well as 179 non-public schools, submitted plans just one week ago. In a short turnaround, they kept their families informed, identified student needs, worked to ensure equitable access to learning opportunities, and dove in headfirst to provide continuous learning strategies to meet the needs of their students and families. The instructional time requirements will continue to be waived for the remainder of the 2019-2020 academic year for all schools providing continuous learning opportunities through either the voluntary option, the required option, or a combination of the two. To prepare for a return to -to face-to-face learning, schools will need to design and submit a return to learn plan to the Iowa Department of Education by July 1. This plan may include options for summer school, Enrichment activities or other opportunities designed to address disruptions to learning as a result of COVID-19 and will be further supported through recommendations from the Continuous Learning Task Force. Governor Reynolds also will waive the late August start date for schools during this public health emergency so school districts and non-public schools can make local decisions about the 2020-2021 academic year. As we find our way forward, robust, engaging options for learning outside of brick and mortar will become an integral part of our educational framework, complementing face-to-face learning and preparing students for the increasingly digital world they live in. These These are extraordinary times for our teachers, administrators, and staff who are transitioning to this new learning landscape, and for our students who are transitioning too. For the class of 2020, the senior year of high school is very different than previous classes have experienced. Unlike most high school seniors, the class of 2020 likely won't go to prom, have a senior skip day, or even a graduation ceremony. But despite all of this, they remain focused on the future. We know that parents are adjusting, too, in more ways than I can fairly capture. So to them, I just want to say thank you. It isn't easy, and we are doing everything we can to support our schools, families, and students as they adjust to a new way of learning and of life. The department continues to meet virtually with school leaders twice a week to answer questions and have removed barriers to high school graduation, helped to mobilize grab-and-go meals for students, built an online bank of resources to help teachers and families move to continuous learning, and waived assessment and testing requirements so schools can focus on engaging with students. We are also helping to connect resources for schools in need of technology, materials, and supplies in light of COVID-19's impact on education delivery. The education donations research page on our website is updated regularly, and we have already connected schools with partners such as DHS to support some of those needs. COVID-19 has created challenges, but our school administrators, teachers, district staff, Parents, caregivers, and students are resilient, resourceful, and tenacious. For that, I am grateful and reassured that we will get through this together and come out stronger on the other side. Thank you.
0: Thanks, Anne. And I just greatly appreciate all the work that you and the um, Education Task Force has done to initiate continuous learning and the work that you will do now to prepare districts to return to learn this fall. And again, to the superintendents and the teachers out there also, thanks for what you're doing to provide continuous learners to our students during this really tough time. And I want to thank the school districts uh, for their student-centered approach as you begin to look ahead for uh, for the next year. This is an unprecedented time and you continue to help us reimagine how Iowa students can continue to learn regardless of the circumstances. So I look forward to working with you and learning more about the plans in the months of, um, to come. So in closing, I wanted to share some good news that will help Iowa begin to move forward. In, um, w- we have had uh, two, 22,295 Iowa businesses that were approved for loans through the SBA Paycheck Protection Program. And this will circulate $3.75 billion in the Iowa economy and keep thousands of Iowans working. I want to thank um, Iowa's SBA lenders on reacting swiftly to help these businesses keep um, moving and to keep their employees hired. Iowa ranks in the top 20 of all states approved for funding, and that was due to the quick response of Iowa banks and credit unions. Additionally, um, Iowa Economic Development Authority Small Business Relief Grant was has sent 96% of the $24 million to over 1,200 Iowa businesses, so they also have stood up a program so quickly and then got the funding out to the individuals who qualified for that. So we're waiting on guidance from the U.S. Treasury um, for the money that will be coming in to Iowa so that we hope to expand those small business relief grants. We just need some additional information before we're able to talk about what our next steps are uh, at I- from Iowa. So with that, we will open it up to questions.
2: Governor Lee, this is unprecedented, obviously, you having kids out a school this long. How difficult was this decision to make for you and the administration, and what does it mean for so many students and, and kids in Iowa?
0: Yeah, well, it was very hard. Um, All of the decisions that I've had to make have had just un unbelievable um, repercussions on Iowans' families and students and businesses all across the state. But just as other governors have done, when you sit down and try to talk about how we responsibly start to open back up Iowa, we still haven't actually peaked at this point, and we just don't have the data that I think that we need to start to have the conversation about opening them up. So, you know, we just made the decision yesterday for right now. I told them I would give them a two-week notice on what we thought it would look like, and we just are not going to be where we need to be by May 1 to help give them the information they need to put the plans in place to try to figure out how to reopen school, which potentially for some schools would have been two to three weeks and some maybe four, you know, but we spent a lot of time trying to figure out if we could do that, and it just wasn't possible. So, right now, I want to just, again, thank you, heartfelt thank you to the administrators and the teachers that are putting plans in place. We're getting better at We've had to stand them up relatively quickly, uh, but they've done it. They did do that, and now we're going to continue to look for opportunities to enhance and really uh, make those programs even better so we can continue to work with the kids. It's one of the reasons I waived the school date, because maybe there's a possibility for schools to start three weeks early and start some of that remediation so that we can start to see where the kids are at and help provide them the instruction they need to get them to where they should be at and and really um, able to, to move forward. Do you have uh, any data on how many students are actually participating in continuous learning at this point, either um,
1: because their school districts are making it mandatory or uh, because they're doing voluntary? There's been some
0: uh, reports from other states that uh, participation is not that great. Yeah, and so that is the concern. And so, you know, we were kind of just right in the middle of the pandemic and we had to do what we had to do. It's been a valuable learning experience. And I think as we move forward, we're going to continue to enhance it and be in a Better place we can do better, and we need to do better, and that would be part of it. I think, Kathy, moving these school districts from a voluntary to a registered because, in the registered piece of it, um, they actually do take attendance and they give, I think, grades. Right? Do you have anything you want to add to that? I shouldn't, yeah. Are you yeah. None at this point. I mean, it did just sort of start, and we
1: recognize that some districts might change. Um, our goal, though, I think, as we look at this progressing, is it's going to significantly look different as we continue to move forward. So um, I don't have that data for you. I'm not sure how we could gather it. We could try anecdotally. But um, the one thing we we are asking districts to do as we start to think about a return to learn. That's what they will be looking at. How many kids didn't participate? They're going to have to make those measurements, and we'll make those as part of our recommendations because um, we're all going to have some um, significant Significant disruptions to address in the fall, so that will be part of that process.
0: Yep. Governor, and that's what they'll be working on through through this interim, and continue to work on all the time, especially with the task force that they have in place. I'm sorry, Todd.
2: discussion about the Midwest states getting together to yeah. open up, and yeah. talk about you not joining with uh, some of our neighbors. What's yeah. the status of that, and yep. how, how are you
0: dealing with that? So we have been in constant contact with all of the governors across the country, whether it's been on the conference calls with the vice president and the president, or just uh, various um, times, pick up the phone and see what they're doing in the states. And so we kind of had already uh, established a group of governors that have worked very closely with the flood mitigation that we've been working with, uh, especially with the levee system along the western side of the state. So I have been in close contact through all of this with Governor Ricketts because of Omaha and Council Bloss and just what we've worked on with the flood and so uh, we've been working with North Dakota Governor South Dakota Governor, Nebraska Governor, Missouri Governor um, uh, Arkansas We've uh, I think they've reached out to Kansas Governor uh, Governor Kelly has been involved also in the flood task force so that's kind of a unit that we've been working with um, to start to talk about how we reopen as a region so it was just a relationship that had already existed, working through some really tough flooding uh, that we had take place this last um,
2: year. So are you going to work with the governor of Illinois as well? And,
0: and well, you know, we well, I, I've worked with Pritzker on uh, several issues, so so there would be no reason. I mean, we continue to communicate and talk about what we're doing. So um, it's just these are the ones that we've kind of worked with and has, had already been working with. And so we've got kind of a, a group that we've done calls. We've been watching this year because we still have a very vulnerable levy system along the western side of the state. So we're watching uh, the forecast. We're trying to do that from a regional perspective. Um, to make sure that we're you know protecting both sides and we're in the best possible place that we can be as we move into spring flooding. So but we're going to continue every governor is, is approaching this based on data from their state, talking about best practices, what they've done, how they've applied it. We learn from from everybody and that's the benefit actually of getting on the calls. Um, they'll talk about what they need, what they've experienced, some areas that they've had some problems with, maybe some of the testing uh, supplies. So it's just it's beneficial to you know, talk to, to all of them. Going back
1: to the packing plant issue, yeah. can yeah. you clarify for us a little bit um, what you think the role of OSHA is? Yeah. There's been some conflicting reports that they don't think this is maybe their job to do uh, mitigation and that they don't have inspectors in the plants all the time and secondly um, uh, on the on the packing plant uh, issue are you um, uh, let's see I'm sorry I'm losing my train of thought here oh uh, you mentioned talking with the, the employers yeah. but have you also talked with um, uh, groups uh, representing the workers, yeah. and are, you know, do you yeah. have that cross-check with what what they're doing?
0: Yeah. So OSHA is the um, who they would go to with any uh, worker safety or employer concerns. Um, that they have a process in place where a worker has an opportunity to file a complaint if they feel like they're being um, exposed to unsafe uh, uh, work workspace, that it's not safe. Um, I did reach out to Commissioner Roberts to see how he is handling this. He said they have been proactive in reaching out to businesses and processing plants and making sure that they understand what the Iowa Department of Public Health and the CDC guidelines are. Um, they, any complaint that comes in, they have a team that investigates that, so all complaints are being investigated. The number for that is 1-800-332-0419. So again, they have a process in place. It's Iowa OSHA. Uh, they do work with them, have proactively reached out to them, follow up with any complaint, regardless of what type of a business it is. It's followed up through the agency. And they did say um, um, when my team talked to uh, Commissioner Roberts that they are expecting COVID-19 specific guidance from federal OSHA this week. So they'll just have that can enhance what they're already doing and they are expecting to get that this week. Have you talked to groups representing the workers? So I have focused on, so I've really focused on like the HR the um, production, the uh, plant manager so that we can understand what the needs are so we can first of all make sure that the employees are safe and that they're uh, working in a safe environment and testing is a critical component of that so we can start to understand what the scope of the exposure has been and through contact tracing how we can get in front of that and hopefully protect the employees and ultimately keep the plant up and going so that we can keep the the flow of food uh, going out of Iowa and throughout the nation they are critical infrastructure and it's essential that we do everything we can to protect the workforce while keeping these uh, uh, processing plants up and going and so that's where I, Kathy, have been working because I want to get the testing supplies down, I want to make sure that they are providing or they, if there's any other things that they might need that we can facilitate helping them with uh, I had a good conversation with the HR team at uh, the Tyson plant in Waterloo yesterday, I kind of ran through some of the things where, you know, they they, they want to do everything they can to keep their workforce healthy, and there, uh, they are. They have been adamant about if you're sick, stay home. Like I said, they um, they eliminated their incentive plan for uh, not, you know, not calling in sick. They didn't want anybody to think, you know, they didn't want to incentivize anybody to do that. They wanted to make sure that they knew that if you were sick, stay home. They can't enter the plant without a mask on. They're providing, or they can bring their own. They are taking temperature scans. They're disinfecting more. Regular more often, um, they are um, distancing as much as they can. They're separating when people go on breaks, they're doing that at different times. They're allowing um, individuals to break in the locker area if they feel like they can't. get the social distancing that they're trying to get in the break room so they've just done a, they're implementing and continually looking for additional things uh, that they can do to make sure that they have a safe environment for their employees so that was just i called to see you know or to, to let them know that we were sending testing uh supplies to them they should arrive today oh, how many 2700 2700 so i wanted to let them know that they were coming i just wanted to check and see if they needed a team to help facilitate the testing and then to let them know we also had 1500 tests that went to three um, uh, clinics in the waterloo area as well so that we have additional testing capacity for the residents of the community as well and i think that's uh, really important too
3: Governor Kim Reynolds, her daily press conference here on KXNO, Miller and Condon. We're going to get a quick timeout. Come back, get back into the world of sports. Of course, the big news there, as you heard, schools done for the school year across the state of Iowa. Spring sports, along with it, have wrapped up now. What is going to happen to summer sports? Baseball, softball, still to be determined. Quickly here, let's give you a chance to win $1,000. Text the keyword "win." To 200-200 right now, your chance to win $1,000. That's win to 200-200.
4: You'll get a confirmation text and info. Standard data and message rates apply in this nationwide contest.
3: We're going to talk some NFL Draft, our restaurant radio recap, also coming your way to finish things off. Matt Montessarian on the NFL Draft next as we take you up until noon. Miller and Welcome back. That was the governor of Iowa, Trent Had step out You did the keyword, correct? Oh, yes, yeah. Absolutely. We're all good to go there. Hopefully, get some money in somebody's pocket Absolutely. here on KXNO. Well, if you missed
2: it, it's win to 200-200, win to 200-200. But Trent took care of it at the end of the last segment. Let's get into this one. Matt Manassarian, Sports Info Solutions. He joins the program as we take another look at the NFL draft. So we're going to start with some of the locals. Matt, uh, good to talk to you, Matt. How are you? Trenton, Ken in Des Moines. I'm doing great. Thanks for having me, have me back on, guys. You know, we appreciate it. Uh, you're, uh, you uh, bring a lot to the program, uh, no doubt about it. Well, the draft is now. Uh, this time next week, we'll we'll know the first thirty-two picks uh, in the draft and be speculating about pick thirty-three. I always love that, trying to figure out what team's going to move and who is there that just somebody just has to have and the bounty that ho- the that the I guess in this case the Bengals may get uh, if they indeed are entertaining moving it. But let's uh let's kind of localize this. In at least in the beginning, the Vikings have two picks, uh, both of them in the 20. There is speculation that they are looking to package something, maybe move higher. Of course, you can't believe very much of what you hear, if anything at all, at this time. Where are you on the Vikings with both of their picks? Do they need a wide receiver? Do they need cornerback help? Certainly secondary has taken a lot of losses in this offseason, Matt.
4: Yeah. Whenever we talk about team needs, uh, two things come to mind. Number one, I don't care for them very much. I'm a a much bigger fan of of drafting for best player available than drafting specifically for the need. I think you can get in a lot of trouble like that. Um, But two, um, what we do at Sports Info Solutions is we break down how every team performed by position group last year, and we can, we can use that evaluation to help us understand where the team needs to improve and where the team is was already very good. So, um, you know, I don't think there's any surprise the team was good at quarterback and running back last year. Uh, the receiver situation certainly changed, so I think that presents a need uh, with, with Diggs going out of town. Um, as far as tight end goes, you know Rudolph is, is still one of the better tight ends we've got, and Herb Smith was a great fit there, too. The offensive line grades out very well. So on the offensive side of the ball, when we look at it based on total points, and if you have the SIS Football Rookie Handbook, uh, anybody at home themselves, you can flip to that Vikings page and see that for yourself. But on the defensive side of the ball, um, I think the place that, that we really want to go after is either the defensive line, which we, which could be defensive tackle or edge, and then the cornerback position. Uh, certainly we saw the cornerback position go from probably a position of strength to a position of weakness over the course of last year. It's it's an embarrassment of riches at safety, of course, uh, but those are the situations, you know, as much as I want to caution against drafting for need, those are the places where I'd be looking.
3: Matt Manassarian joining us as we talk NFL draft. Let's go up to the team that took the division last year, the NFC North, and that is the Green Bay Packers. They sit there very late in the first round. I think overall have to give a very good grade to the new staff and what they've done after uh, some tumultuous times, I would have to say, with Ted Thompson back in the day. New GM and his staff has done a really nice job, I think, of building that roster. What are your expectations for the Packers there? Staying at 30, any chance at movement? And if they are at 30, who are you looking at? Yep,
4: uh, Packers, another team uh, where you look at it, and as much as I hate to think about need, and I also hate to think about drafting receivers high because I'm such a big fan of, of kind of building up front. And uh, yeah, certainly I think there's there are a few different uh, offensive line prospects that the Packers could be considering there. But the two big needs heading into the offseason were wide receiver and linebacker. We've seen linebacker addressed. We've seen wide receiver not addressed. And if there is a year where you can stay at 30 and still expect to get maybe a high-level receiver prospect, I, I think this might be the one. Uh, certainly Jerry Judy and, and Ceedee Lamb are, are expected to be off the board at that point. Um, I'd also expect Ruggs mm-hmm. off the board and probably Justin Jefferson, but yeah. then that, that's a player that I'd be interested in there. Uh, But then you look at the wide receiver depth in this class, and even if it's not at 30 where you want to go and grab somebody, even if you end up uh, hanging out for later, I just think there's so many players that can really come in and upgrade the the Packers receiver position kind of right away. Um, It's a hard place to look away from there. Just when you look at how well Aaron Rodgers performed last season, except for all the drop passes and all the inability for people to get open on all over the place Um, too much of that. And uh, you know, he needs some targets. So, it could align nicely in that way, even though uh, from from I'm always going to be talking about getting a quarterback and building up front first. That's that's where my belief system is. Um, it's hard to argue with the receivers that are available this
2: year. Um, you know, with the with the Chiefs drafting thirty two, I mean, um, th- this team doesn't need a lot, right? Um, maybe offensive line help. How do you have the offensive linemen in this draft ranked, Matt? I'm anxious. You know, a lot of folks have Will's the kid from Alabama first, but I see a lot of love for Tristan Wirfs. That you know, I've seen I've read a lot that if there's one offensive lineman that teams would trade up to get, they'd be making a mistake if that wasn't Tristan Wirfs. Of course, Beckton from Louisville is a good player. Georgia's got that young kid, Thomas, who hasn't played a lot of football. He's still very raw, but you can certainly see the tools there. Might it be offensive line for the Chiefs, and, and how do you have them slotted?
4: Yeah, so it's a really interesting tackle class this year because there's both this extreme consensus that these are these four top guys, the ones you mentioned, Andrew Thomas, Tristan Wirfs, Jedrick Wills, and Mackay Beckton. Um, a lot of consensus. Those are the top guys. But then at the same time, you talk to every different scout has them ranked in a different order. They have a different guy that they love for one reason or another. Um, now, interestingly, these are all guys that are, that are third year juniors. So all relatively young guys in terms of the, you know, the amount of football that they played. They're all uh, th- uh, three of the four of them are three-year starters that came in, you know, immediately as true freshmen. Just Wills from Alabama, who didn't start most of that freshman year for for Alabama, but uh, understandable there. Um, and then Becton, huge guy with with you saw what he did at the combine with the athleticism. I'm sure you guys are very familiar with Tristan Wurfs, but he's you know not the size of Beckin, but really strong. And his testing was probably even more impressive, just running 4'8 at that size and, and, and what he was able to do there. Um, so we've got them all bunched together. Uh, but we actually have Thomas at number one and Wills at number two, the way that we stack them up. And, uh, you know, some of the reasons for that is with Andrew Thomas, like with like with Wills, we saw the anchor play strength. But at Georgia, him being somebody that, that's really slotted in on the left side, been an athletic freak to go with the strength, Um, I I think he's a guy that that gets me a little bit more excited than the others, but it's really close. Wills is right there. Wills is probably more of a guy that that slots in as a right tackle, but he's somebody that that I think is going to be a a long-term starter in the NFL also. And then all all the athletic potential of Werps and Beckton, a lot of reasons to get excited about those guys. So, I, I think those four guys are probably off the board uh, by the time we get through the teams, um, just because they are such high level prospects and the ability to find those bookends is, is rare. Um, some other guys that might be available a little bit later a uh, Josh Jones, an Austin Jackson, um, and Prince Tegawinogo from Auburn is a guy that we really like. We think there's a lot of upside there. Um, not as much not as much love from him from a lot of other outlets. So he could be another guy to, to keep an eye on on day two.
2: Just real quick, what about the guy from uh, Michigan, Ruiz? Uh, a lot of love for him, and he can play an uh, interior offensive line, but um, there, there's speculation that he might be one of those picks that you go, wow, that's a bit bit of a reach. But there are teams that really like this guy late in the first round.
4: I love Ruiz. I don't think he's a reach late in the first round. Um, We've got him as – so our grading scale will basically say if you're a 7.0 or above, that's that's a Pro Bowl high-level day-one starter. We get everybody, though, in the 6.7 to 6.9 range, and we, we're talking about where those all those tackles are. Those are guys that are high-level starters for you. Those guys are upgrades on a Super Bowl-level roster so that when the other team is preparing for you and they're looking at your depth chart, they're not the blue chippers, those guys that are the 7.0 and above that you're just worried about when you're game-planning. But they're those guys that are in those next tier where these are, if you have enough of those very good players, you can build a very good team. So, Cesar Ruiz, he's right there in, in, that, in that same range as those top four guys. We've got him as our number one ranked center. Um, he's at that six, seven grade range, a uh, good kind of communication ability, moves well, fluid. We think that he can come in and, and be a starting center. Um, if he's not somebody that's going to change your offensive line, he's somebody that'll slot in and play really well in there for you for a long time. But one guy that I think has kind of dropped off as more and more time has gone on that we think is right there with him in terms of his ability to lock down the center position is Tyler Biotish from Wisconsin. Sure. Uh, we've got him at that six seven grade also. Um, similar stuff. Maybe not as, as, as great balance, um, a little bit of, of uh, some – shorter arms and things like that with him, where when you look at Ruiz, you see a little bit more just physically somebody that that, uh, looks the part. Uh, But Biotis is a guy that we think is really good, and when you look at some of the advanced metrics, uh, we have statistics like um, what we call blown block percent, which is actually the percentage of time that you miss your block against the guy in front of you. We have Biotis number one and Ruiz number two amongst centers in the draft. And then on our total points leaderboard, also You've got Ruiz at number four. He was responsible for 30 total points, which basically means he was responsible for 30 of the points that Michigan scored on offense last year. Biotis, we had up, he was number one with 41 total points. So, in terms of uh, now, a lot of that is just what the Wisconsin offense was able to produce and what Biotis had to do with Jonathan Taylor's success. Um, and that's why you see that there. Uh, but, but those guys I think are really strong. I would take either of those guys before I would take uh, Lloyd Cushenberry from LSU Is another guy, Interior, that I, I think ends up being more of a, a depth player than a starter like one of those two guys.
3: We've talked a lot with you, Matt, about the two guys anticipated to go in the first round, if not second, for A.J. Epinesa and Tristan Wirst from Iowa, who looks to be a top-ten pick. But want to go a little bit deeper on the Hawkeye draftable players I want to start with the quarterback, Nate Stanley. Inconsistent throughout his career. There were some great moments. Five touchdowns in his first ever road start at Iowa State. Five touchdowns against Ohio State in Kinnick Stadium. But there's also the other side with him. Your thoughts on him as a quarterback? It sounds like he is getting at least some run with teams that already have a quarterback but more of a developmental guy. What do you see with Stanley.
4: Yep, I think he fits the profile as that developmental guy, that maybe that third guy that you're bringing into your system. We've got him ranked as the 13th quarterback in this class. Uh, with a 59 grade. That's going to be kind of a backup level grade. Maybe he comes in as a uh, uh, number Three and ends up being a practice squad guy that can work into a role, so we 've got him kind of in that in that range. Um, what you like about him is a guy that that has leadership ability, commands the huddle, understands you know the NFL type concepts that they 've been running at Iowa and can get the ball you know distribute the ball in the short area. I think when you look at him though, I think you guys are probably as aware as anybody. The high level physical upside really isn 't there with him we don 't see the big arm we don 't see the ability to put the ball on on the money down the field. Um, You don't see anything when the play breaks down where you're going to say, okay, you know, it wasn't there the way we drew it up. Nate, go create something for me. So any of that stuff is not going to get you excited. Um, Another thing not getting you excited is when you just look at, in terms of not just the completion percentage, but we look at a lot of different metrics to evaluate quarterback accuracy. And the completion percentage has been at 59% each of the last two years. But the on-target percentage also – below where we would really want for guys that that we get really excited about. So the on-target percentage at about 70% over the last two years. You know, just to give you an idea, we have somebody like Jacob Eason who is at 79% this year. Um, We had somebody like um, Justin Herbert who is at 74% this year. Um, so you see the two at 77%, and then Joe Burrow off the charts, he was at 83% in terms of the on-target percent this year. So in terms of the pure accuracy, which is not just did the receiver catch the ball, but how accurate was the pass, he's a little bit behind where the other guys are, and he really struggled under pressure. That's what, I mean. where you've seen it the most is his performance under pressure. All that said, when you look at the total points metric, like we talked about before, Um, at the offensive line position. At the quarterback position, he actually ranked fifth in this class in terms of total points, um, what he was able to produce for that Iowa offense this year. So um, for all the negative things that I bring out about the tools and his ability to probably develop into a high-level NFL player – he kind of he does have some of the the basic ability to just distribute the football and lead an offense that that can lead to him potentially probably being a backup. I, I'd say best case scenario.
2: Uh, Matt Menissarian from Sports Info Solutions. He's a former scout for the Saints and the Browns. We have like 90 seconds left, Matt. Uh, a couple of guys and I was secondary. Geno Stone and I saw Michael Ojemudia. Uh, one of the draft boards I was on yesterday has uh, CBS, I believe it was dot com. CBS Sports has him in the second round. Ojemudia and stone your thoughts i think these are nice deaf players i probably see these guys as more day three guys both of them
4: uh but i think that they're both really interesting players um different strengths different weaknesses when you look at the two of them so stone ran really well at the combine i think the four six two probably helps him out there we see him as a pure free safety very good range but he does lack the size so probably a pure free safety probably comes in as a backup in the first couple days, but then can be a special teamer for you and maybe develop into a better player. One thing to watch out for him is the broken tackles. That was an issue that we saw. Um, and then uh, Ojumuda again, a, a depth corner ran well again, four, four, five. But um, when you look at some of the different metrics. He performed pretty well, but it was a lot of zone coverage performance. So you get nervous about a a corner who's produced so much, but really only sitting down in that zone scheme. It's a little bit of a projection to see how he would play in a a more complicated system.
2: Sportsinfosolutions.com, Matt Manassarian, former scout for the Saints and the Browns, editor of Sports Info Solution Football Rookie Handbook. As always, Matt, appreciate so much what you do for us. Thank you. Thanks so much for having me on. Stay safe, guys. You do the same. Good to talk to you, Matt Manasarian. So we get a little bit on the NFL draft. Well, Trent Conner, in our final few minutes here on Fridays, we well, always recap restaurant radio. It's brought to us by NCMIC. Nick NCMIC makes restaurant radio possible. By the way, yes, we have a names restaurant next week. Oh, we do. Our first one. Yes, indeed. Oh, we got two. Oh, you've got one, too? I got one, too. I wonder if it's the same. No, I don't think it is. Uh, that's good. Well, we've uh, certainly been wondering where, the, when the folks in Ames, the restaurant employees, managers, owners, are going to reach out to us and want to hear about their shop, and we're going to do that next week. Well, we do it Tuesdays and Thursdays. You can be a part of it. There's no charge. There's no catch. If you want to come on, it's essentially a two-, three-, four-minute infomercial on your restaurant. You can email me, KenMillerShow at gmail.com, KenMillerShow at gmail.com, or find Trent on. On Facebook, he's well. He's Trent content on Facebook. Pyro Pizza was a part of it there in Norwalk. Uh, they've got that uh, what are they, the brick fire—is yes, that what they call it?
3: Real Napoli's yeah, pizza. Yeah, you were pumped up about that. I was making a trip south. I think this weekend you're going to pick one up. I, yeah, I Good think so. For if not this weekend, certainly very soon. That that uh, that taste—it just I love pizza. Yeah, me too. But that pizza, it is so different. It is so good. Excited to try that uh, down in Norwalk. Absolutely. Uh, Pyro Pizza. Uh, Eastside Eddie's was a part of it. Eastside Eddie's.
2: Good to have them on. Boy, Trina was uh, very grateful for that. Mm -hmm. Eastside Eddie's doing lunch. Uh, They've got a daily lunch special, but as Trina said, they run out. Get your orders (laughs) in early. Eastside
3: Eddie's joined us. Papa Kino's over in the Drake neighborhood. No, no relation to Kino Davis, but... That worked out well. It worked out incredibly well. And speaking of pizza, Alec and the staff do a great job over at Papa's Papaquitos. Looking forward to uh, having that add into the list. And this is what we're learning too. Yeah, these places that we haven't right. been and. Boy, my list is incredibly long. Places I gotta stop. Indeed, they've got the lunch slices at Papaquino's as well. Montana
2: Mikes on Northeast Fourteenth. They're also in Newton. They're still. Uh, They're full menu. They haven't changed anything. Full menu is available via carryout. Montana Mikes Northeast Fourteenth in Des Moines and also in Newton
3: social eats with great escape out there in uh, Pleasant Hill Randy Thompson who's been in the community for a long long time they have a great center there an arcade laser tag when we get back to normal that's a place to take the kids. A lot of fun things that they have, and, of course, with the bowling, too. But right now, with their social eats, you can get great food that they have there out at Great Escape with Randy and Company. Speaking of taking the kids, you take your kids. Yes. Well, one of them, Elle, is a big fan of Orange Leaf frozen yogurt. I'm guessing dad is, too. Oh, yeah. Well, you know, it's, I just got to take one for the team. I guess we'll go get some yogurt and uh, get those mix-ins and everything else at yeah, Orange Leaf. And uh, Alan has been really nice. He reached out again and thanked us again. Good. and you. Thank- Thanks to Alan, he's after got a, a bunch of bunch of different orange leaves here around the community. Something fun for the kids and a good dessert after you talk about all these restaurants. Yeah,
2: that's for sure. L Bay Shop is open with their beer of course. The High Life Lounge they're doing their full menu, including the tater tots. Uh, L Bay Shop, good supporter here of KXO, and uh, good to have them on the program. Smoky D's, they've won so many awards. Yeah. Remember, I asked him, I asked uh, Darren how many I couldn't, couldn't count them. Couldn't all.
3: Couldn't count them all, right?
2: So many awards at Smoky D's. Of course, they're on Northeast Second. And they're also downtown, but they've closed that one up. It's on the Skywalk, and downtown is a kind of a ghost town, at least for the next few weeks. We'll see when that gets going, but Smokey D's worth the drive uh, to Northeast 2nd, right behind the Harley-Davidson barn.
3: Yes, uh, one of my favorites, my dad's favorite every time he comes to town, is Smokey D's. Then... Well, we hit them twice, Main Street Cafe up in Ankeny, one of your favorite places, Ken. Yeah, my
2: wife is, uh, well, she hasn't been there already today. She's on her way. Uh, <laughs> Ryan talked us in, because uh, well, I told him, I asked him, I said, boy, why'd you take the uh, the blackened chicken mac off the menu? Yeah. And he said, he's had more people say that to him. So I'm going to get it with the creamy Cajuns. Well, I'm not. Cindy is <laughs> going to pick it up here today, but looking forward to that. Main Street Cafe, That like uh, Smoky D's, they're also located at, uh, downtown as well, uh, but with... Um, They've just cl- closed it up for the time being, but they'll reopen when downtown reopens.
3: Another one of my favorites, Noah's Ark, right up the street from us. In fact, I don't think I told you this story. It was right when we had started here at KXNO, what, 15, 16 months ago. Mm-hmm. and For the second time in my case. We were for the second time in your case, right? And me too. I was here as a part-timer oh, years we were. That's and years right. ago. Yes, that's
2: right, with Kotler and Colin. Yes, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah.
3: But uh so I'm sitting here, and we go to lunch. My wife and I. She was off. I think it might have been a snow day or an in-service day, whatever it was. She was off that day, but it was in January, we're week or two into things. And I come in here and I show her to the studio. And boy, this is this is quite the upgrade that you're going oh, through, you right now. And uh she goes, "I got something to show you." She had been to the doctor. We had been she knew she I was pregnant. I remember
2: you telling me this story. Yes, go and ahead. so
3: she showed me right here after our great lunch at Noah's Ark, right here in this mm-hmm. studio the uh, the first ultrasound of our little one. Picture so. of Jack. The yes. first picture of Jack, right? It happened right
2: here at KXDO That's that's awesome. Uh, Sully's is uh, still open. Sully's of course, uh, like so many bars and restaurants, uh, really took a, uh, a blow not having it open uh, for St. Paddy's Day, but Sully's is a staple. Uh, Sully's, uh, Bill joined us from Sully's and they're offering carryout on their appetizers and their menu as well.
3: dot scornos.com is where you can find them. Southsiders looking for great pizza. They are an institution on the south side and you think south side you think great italian food mm. they have it there at scornos no
2: doubt about it court avenue brewery brewing is the second oldest brew pub in the state of iowa how about that was it 96 or 98 uh, Anyways, it's for circa 1996 is when they opened for the first time down on Court Avenue. Phenomenal food, terrific beer. Uh, Court Avenue Brewing, doing what they do well and can, and have done well for a long time. There's one that stood the test of time, no doubt about it.
3: Table 128 Bistro. Sarah joined us and we talked a little bit about some of the different value packs that they have going on. Great family meals, some high-end stuff. and. The chocolate chip cookies, I told yes. you. They are, they are a favorite. Talking about finishing off a, a great meal, you get that there at Table 128.
2: Claxons was the first restaurant we had on during our restaurant radio segment that is now in week number four, finishing up week number four. Again, NCMIC making it possible. But we wanted to reconnect with Andy for a couple of reasons, because it's so good to Trent and I over the years uh, with the Claxons uh, gift certificate once we get back to sports. But I wanted to get an update as to how this is going. I know like a lot of restaurant owners, proprietors, they were very, very nervous when they were told that it's going to be carry-out only. But uh, Andy's making a go of it, and he has been overwhelmed by the support of the folks uh, in Altoona. Klaxon Smokehouse, speaking of uh, the test of time in passing it, Andy has certainly stood the test of time in business in Altoona for over 20 years.
3: And finally, we had Mickey's on yesterday out in Waukee. Mickey's, a place that I have enjoyed a cocktail or two, coiffed a few uh, throughout the years. Good place. Great place to watch sports. They have live music. Uh, One of my buddies that's in a band, he's played out there a couple of different times. So one of my favorites over on the west side, Mickey's in Waukee.
2: You know, and we got a text message after, after Mickey's was on, after Amy was on, and said, I'm so glad you had her on. They are the best wraps I've ever had. Ooh, How about that? That's an endorsement. Indeed, it is an endorsement. Mickey's in Waukee brings Restaurant Radio to a close for this week. We do it Tuesdays and Thursdays, then we remind you on Fridays all the restaurants that we had as a part of it. Uh, We'll do it Tuesday and Thursday next week. Email me, KenMillerShow at gmail.com. No charge, no catch. Come on on, tell us your story. We are happy to hear it. Uh, We'll be back on Monday. Murph and Andy at 2, the Fanatics at 4. Monday starts with the morning rush at 6. Thanks for being here. We're Miller and Condon. Weekdays from 10 to noon on Des Moines Sports Station, 1460 KXNO 106.5.